This week is also our official kickoff week for our Rooted experience. We have around 200 people committed to being a part of the Rooted experience. And I'm so excited, church, what God is going to do through that. If you have yet to find a group to be plugged into, you, this is your chance. Right now, this is it. Fill out that registration card or go see someone at Engage Impact. If you're sitting here and you're like, Bill, I have no idea what you're even talking about. Fill out that registration card to go talk to somebody at Impact. We'd love to help you fill you in what that is all about. But as you walked in this morning, you probably have received this card. You know, my true identity. As we go through this fall, may we just use this as a reminder. I ask you to put it in your Bible, hang it up somewhere in your house where you can constantly see this. But here's the battle. This world is constantly trying to uh, spur us towards finding our identity in a whole bunch of other things other than Jesus. And I pray that through this fall, that we come to a realization and remember, I am who the Father says I am. My identity is in Jesus. And these are some great verses that through the course of this fall, that you can just pull out on a regular basis to read through, to remind yourself who you are. You are a child of the creator of everything that is. And our identity is in the one who created us. And I hope and pray that this can just be a constant reminder for you as we go through this fall. You know, today as we kind of wrap up this two-part series, Crave, we're going to be talking about community building. Last week I concluded this message talking about the show on the History Channel called Alone. And how fascinating it is, these people who surround themselves with nothing in a five-mile radius that's their home as long as they can survive with basically nothing. And it's just amazing how these people can use the resources of the wilderness to survive. But what just hit me also is watching the show that every person on the show eventually got to a point when it just hit them. They are alone. Every person all of a sudden got hit with the reality of isolation and what that meant. And how it broke them down. You see, the biggest battle for them was not the wilderness. It was the isolation that they felt within the wilderness. You see, this world is our wilderness. And so often I feel in our life, we are walking through the wilderness of this world. With crowds of people all around us. But so often we just feel alone. We feel completely isolated. And we're broken. Sometimes we're isolated physically, but more often than not, we find ourselves isolated emotionally and spiritually, and it just beats us down. It breaks us. You know why? Because we were created for community. You see, we, we, can never, we were never created to be alone. God hardwired us for relationships. When he created you and me and every person that exists, he hardwired us for relationships. A few weeks ago, we talked about the reality of us being created in the image of God. You can go on YouTube, look up Impact Pittsburgh, subscribe to our YouTube page. You can see all the past messages. Catch it yourself up if you missed them. But we talked about how we were created in God's image and what that means and the reality that God hardwired us for relationships in our spiritual sense. See, ultimately, we were created with that in mind. We were created for community. From the genesis of, of, of relationships, it began at the very beginning. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, 
It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. From the very beginning, God says it was never good for you to be alone. He said you were not created for isolation. You were created for community. If you go back to the creation story in Genesis 1, the highlight of God's creation story is the relationship of us with man. With, with God, I mean. See, the reality is this. God's highlight in creation is us. And the fact that he created us to have a relationship with him. Fast forward in Genesis 2, part of creation. It reveals to us that then we were also created for a relationship with others. So God created us for a relationship with him and then also a relationship with others. But it didn't take mankind long to mess it up. You see, we are people who just kind of messes up good things. We all do it. You know it. And Adam and Eve did it too. It didn't take long. You just flip the page of Genesis 3, and they messed up all the relationships in their life. But still, in the foundation of creation, we were ultimately created and hardwired for relationships with God and with other people. You know what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world? You see, every other religion that's ultimately trying to go on this quest of identifying who God is and what God is to them, every other religion puts you through a series of works that you need to do in order to achieve the ability to be in the presence of God. And all they reveal to you is that you're never good enough. They let you up for fail. They set you up for a failure. Because there's no real relationship. But you see, the reality is the God, the creator of everything in the universe, created us for relationships. This is not about a set of rules or regulations. This is about being in a relationship with the God who created everything that is. And here's the truth. We are called to cultivate our relationship with God. The God who created us. The God who loves us so much that he wasn't willing to just let us walk away. That he sent his son into this world to die for us on that cross so that we have the opportunity to be with him for all eternity. You see, God went to great lengths to cultivate a relationship with us and he asked us to do the same. To cultivate a relationship with him. And every relationship has boundaries. If you want to have a healthy relationship, you need to have boundaries within that relationship. There's boundaries that have a healthy married relationship. If there aren't no boundaries in a marriage the marriage will fall. There's, healthy, there's boundaries that you need for healthy relationships within the family, and so on and so forth. Every healthy relationship requires boundaries, and the same is true in our relationship with God. We know these boundaries as God's moral code, and we talked about this again in past relationships. I, I'm sorry, not past relationships, past messages. I just got relationships on the mind, you know. In past messages, go to YouTube and check out our past messages there. But God gave us these relational boundaries, this moral code, to help us cultivate a real relationship with him. You see, when we abide by his boundaries, we're drawn towards him. When we step outside of his boundaries, his morality code, then we draw a wedge between us and him that causes us to be more isolated. You see, with all that being said how we were created for community, how God hardwired us for relationships, it is crucial for us to understand who we surround ourselves with matters. It matters. Who you surround yourself with makes a significant difference. You become what you surround yourself with. It's just the reality of life. In Proverbs 13, it's written this way. Walk with the wise and become wise. 
for a companion of fools suffers harm. Allow me just to read that again so it can sink in a little bit. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. You know, the struggle is, I think for all of us at some level, is we all have this tendency, and the tendency is this. We like to surround ourselves with people who tell us what we want to hear. We all have a longing within our own heart to go down the wrong path. We all have a sin nature in our own heart that pulls us away from the heart of God. And because of that, we like to surround ourselves with people that says, Bill, hey, it's all right. Just do your thing. Go ahead and enjoy life. Have fun. It's okay. Bill, you're pretty awesome. You look wonderful. Whatever it may be. And we just want to surround ourselves with people that just tell us what we want to hear. Entice us to make the poor choices that our heart wants to do. And we push away people that love us, that are there to, you know what, Bill? You're starting to act like a knucklehead. The Bible puts it this way. It's not in the notes. Proverbs 27, it says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens an iron. iron. Uh, one man sharpens another. But when you kind of put iron together like this and you clank it together, what do you get? Sparks, right? Every healthy relationship requires sparks. It requires the moments of time when there's a little bit of conflict. You know what? It's not the way you should be going, Bill. We need to have a talk about it. And if you don't have that in your relationships, if you don't have the sparks in your relationships, it's not going to be healthy. The problem is we don't know how to deal with things usually in a healthy way when those sparks come in the conflict stage. And because we don't deal with conflict well, a lot of times that separates things. But if you learn how to do conflict the right way, the godly way, it, brought, it makes the relationship even stronger. And that's what guides us towards wisdom. See, wisdom never, ever, ever comes when we surround ourselves with people who disagree with us, who are always just telling us what we, our itching ears want to hear, who are always just telling us, do what you want to do. If that feels right for you, you go ahead and do that. And wisdom never comes from that. It just causes us to go down and make more bad choices, have more bad attitudes, and focus on what pleases our heart. But wisdom comes when we have people in our life that are able to say the tough stuff. And redirect us towards the heart of God. That's where wisdom comes from. And if you do not have godly people in your life that you allow to tell you some of the tough stuff that you don't always want to hear, you're probably walking towards the path of a fool rather than a person who's going to be wise. See, wisdom is not about what you know. Wisdom is about the steps you take based upon what you already know. That is wisdom. Who you surround yourself with matters. And our relationship with others should always point us towards the heart of God. Always. And that's why you should constantly be asking myself, who am I surrounding myself with? Who's influencing me? Are they pointing me towards God? Or are they just enticing me to please what's already within my own heart? Am I walking the path towards a wise person? Or am I setting myself up just to become a fool? Because the reality is this, every choice we make has consequences attached to it, good or bad. Every choice, every choice does. 
The problem is when we walk the path of a fool, we're just kind of going the way of what feels right, what makes me happy, what seems good, how, how can I enjoy this day more? And then we don't even think about the consequences that happen until later on down the road, could be tomorrow, could be years from now when the consequences arise and we have to deal with them. And we allow people to influence us down that path. And it's written to walk with the wise, to become wise. Wisdom, like I said, is the application of that knowledge, the choices we make. This isn't in your notes either, but James chapter 3 is a great chapter to read if you want to learn more about wisdom and what it means. James reveals the identity of a wise person is shown in their good life. Your life reveals your wisdom or lack thereof. Make no mistake about it. Your words, your attitude, your choices speaks volumes of what's in your heart. Jesus even said, what's in your heart comes out in Luke chapter 6. We can't hide who we really are. That's just a lie that the world tries to tell us. A wise person that shows the good life, James talks about this in James 3. You see, wisdom shows up in our good deeds. Wisdom shows up in our humility, gentleness, ability to be considerate, peace-loving, merciful, and sincere. But the lack of wisdom, or as Proverbs describes it, the fool, shows up through bitterness, envy, and selfish ambitions within our own heart. And then when that becomes the norm of who we are, we're, becoming, we're walking the path of a fool, not of a wise person. And I apologize for being so blunt. But we live in a world of fools. We live in a world of fools, a world full of selfish ambitions, bitterness, and envy. Communities that we surround ourselves with that's all about me focus, what I want, what's best for me, what can I get? <clears throat> and we disguise them in rights, and we think it's all about what I want for myself. But you know what the biggest problem with selfish ambition is? The biggest problem with being self-focused is? All that does is lead us towards the path of isolation. The more self-focused you are, the more you're all about you, the more isolated you become. That's what happens in relationships. You know why? It just happens naturally. Because you, by your own choices, begin to push other people away in your life. Because they begin to feel, well, you don't really care about me. You're all about yourself. And it just begins to separate it. Or the people who love us are there for us and trying to be there for us. And they're saying, you're not even listening to me anymore. And they just begin to back off. And can I just tell you something? When you find yourself in isolation because you're so focused on yourself, that's a very scary place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. You don't want to be in that spot. And sadly, too many people are living in that spot, thinking life is wonderful, think they got all together because they're so focused on themselves, they're getting what they want in that moment, but they don't even know the consequences, the collapse that's about to happen. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Who you surround yourself with matters it matters and too many of us are allowing our character 
to be corrupted simply because of the company we choose to surround ourselves with. Who are you surrounding yourself with? It makes a significant difference. And you know, in order for us to fully grasp how community affects us, we need to have an understanding of the relationship cycle. Every one of us goes through this relationship cycle. You're not immune to it. We all take this journey. And full disclosure, I got this from an article on the Crew Campus Ministry website. The author is Millie Welsh. And she puts together this great path that we all kind of go through in this relational cycle. And I want to highlight some things a little bit more as we look at this a little bit closer. If we go to the next slide. Let's look at this even more deeper that we all kind of walk through. You see, every relationship starts at a superficial level. We all do. We don't really know each other, but then we go into what's known as the gathering information stage. We all kind of get to the stage where we kind of start to share interests. Oh, do you like sports? Do you like music? Do you like the arts? What type of food do you like? Whatever it might be, it's, it's still superficial, but you're starting to get to know each other, likes and dislikes and interests and things like that. Eventually, at some point, relationships go to a deeper level, and they get to the vulnerability stage. And can I just tell you, the vulnerability stage is absolutely crucial in every relationship. This is where either relationships get held up. This is where spiritually you are either held up or you've been derailed. It all happens at the vulnerability stage. This is the willingness to completely open yourself up. The willingness to say, I trust you enough to tell you everything that's going on in here. I trust you enough that you know the deepest, darkest secrets of my heart. I trust you enough to be real with me. I trust you enough that you're going to call me out when I go down the bad path. I trust you enough that I'm going to tell you what I did last night. That's vulnerability. And for relationships to get to a deeper level, we need to cross this stage. We need to cross this stage in our relationship with God. Because remember, we were created for a relationship with God. Then we were created for a relationship with others. And every relationship that we have with others should point us back to God. But what happens is we don't become vulnerable with God. We don't become vulnerable with other people. You know why? Because we get held up. Because we're too afraid to be transparent and real. That's why the rooted experience is going to be so crucial. Because I'm going to tell you it's going to challenge you. It's beyond the book knowledge. It's a time to be, I need to be vulnerable. I need to be real. I need to be transparent and authentic because I'll never fully be able to experience God if I don't cross this step, if I don't take this step. You know, vulnerability is a choice that we have to make in our life. And sadly, there's so many Christians that are stuck here. Can I just be honest with you? It saddens me because there's a lot of Christians who have a lot of book knowledge. You know a lot about the Bible. And we've been fooling ourselves thinking that we're mature because we know a lot about the Bible. But we're showing a lot of lack of maturity. Why? Because maturity is not found in what you know. Maturity is found in the steps we take, the attitudes we have, how we treat other people. It's shown in the ability to cross the steps of vulnerability. And there's too many Christians who have a lot of book knowledge but are stuck at vulnerability. And because of it, they're not becoming spiritually mature. 
And guys, we need to cross that step. To experience the fullness of God, we need to cross that step. I hear so many people, I, you know, I come and I worship, I just don't feel it. I, I don't experience God. I'm having problems with God. It's because we're stuck at that vulnerability stage. And can I be, also be honest? There's a lot of people who got pushed away from Jesus. Not because we lowered, not because of the standard we kept. But because when vulnerability happened, we didn't know how to deal with it. And we dealt with it wrong. Because you know what happens when we come to vulnerability stage? When we open ourselves up, we know this. We either then feel accepted or rejected. That's what happens. That's the risk. That's the scary step. That's why many of us don't take this step of vulnerability because of the risk. The risk is involved. The risk of what's going to happen when they find out who I am. What's going to happen when they find out the real me. What's going to happen when they realize what I did last night. What then? And because of the risk there, we don't take the step. And we don't experience God in the wholeness of who he is. And we don't experience the relationships that we can in our life. Because of that step, that unwilling to take that step. And sadly, some have taken that step. They became vulnerable with people in the church. And because the people in the church did not know how to respond well when the vulnerability happened, that person felt rejected. And we have a generation of people who've pushed away the church, not because of the standard, but because of our inability to deal correctly when people are vulnerable with us. That's a problem, my friends. It's two sides. One, we have to be willing to be vulnerable. And one, when someone's vulnerable with us as a church, we need to have the ability to how to love them where they are at like Jesus did and walk with them. That's the journey. That's what's so hard about this step. You see, when we feel rejected, more vulnerable, you know what it leads to? It leads to shutdown. It leads to us building walls. It leads to us becoming superficial. It leads to us just kind of uh, surrounding ourselves with the wrong types of people. It leads us towards isolation. But when we are vulnerable and we find ourselves being accepted, switch the slides. When we find ourselves being accepted, we open up. Guess what that leads to? It leads to us being known and it leads to agape love. We talked about this in the past, relation, uh, past message a couple weeks ago, what agape love is. Go back. It's, it's that you are my everything love, right? When we have the ability to be vulnerable, where we feel accepted by the response, then it guides us to agape love, other disclosure, uh, uh, unity in the, in the Bible, uh, uh, finding our place in, in, the, in the scriptures, finding our place in God's story, finding our place in God's church, in God's kingdom. It just opens up the doors to so many things. You see, so often we're stuck at that vulnerability stage or because we felt rejected when we became vulnerability, it pushed us towards isolation. It pushed us towards surrounding ourselves with the wrong influences. That's the relationship cycle. But we need to find the ability to cross that step of vulnerability in a healthy way where we are opening up and where we are allowing other people to open up with us. And we have to understand something, what it means to accept people. You see, the world has redefined what it means to be accepted, and it's kind of derailed us a little bit. See, worldly, <clears throat> worldly acceptance is more about 
I don't care what you do. You just live life. You do what feels right. You enjoy the journey you want to take. If it feels good to you, you go for it. You enjoy it. As long as it doesn't hurt any other people, you just go ahead and enjoy life. That's the, how the world has redefined acceptance, but that's not biblical acceptance. You know what the problem with that is? Is that's a lie. Because here's the reality. Every choice you make affects other people. You can't get around this. Every choice you commit to has an impact on somebody else in your life. You cannot escape that. Also, the second problem is this. The more you go after yourself, the more you're focused on your own ambitions, the more you run towards your heart and what feels right, the more you run towards the path of isolation. And sooner or later, you're going to find yourself alone. And broken. Biblical acceptance is what Jesus showed us when he ate with sinners, when he loved people where they're at. You see, Jesus said, I'm not lowering my standard, but I'm going to love you. I'm going to be right beside you. And, and a biblical acceptance saying, I may not understand all this. I may not understand how this is going to work out. But I promise you this. I'm going to walk through the valley with you. I'm going to walk through the valley with you. And we'll figure this out together. But let's run towards Jesus. That's biblical acceptance. And when we find the ability to accept through our vulnerability, that's what opens the doors to deeper relationships. That's what opens up the door to experiencing God in a way that you could never imagine. God hardwired us for relationships Relationships with him. Relationships with others that guide us towards him. You see, here's the reality. How we do community matters. It matters. It makes a difference. It's not just about sitting back and eating chips and dip and, and enjoying the good life. There needs to be intentionality with our community. There has to be some level of that. Look what happens in Acts chapter 2. You see here the disciples of Jesus just <clears throat> went back to heaven. They're all hanging out with each other. They're asking, what's next? Now what do we do? We're here for each other. And then this happens. They show the intentionality within their community. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it's written, They, <clears throat> that's the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who, who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see what happened there? In these relationships, they show the intentionality of community. And when we are intentional in community, what can happen? You see, the intentionality came when they devoted to some significant things within their community, within their relationships, as they were there for each other and as they pointed each other towards God. The first thing was they were devoted to the Word. It says they were devoted to the, the apostles' teachings. Every time they gathered together, there was a focus there of who is God? Who is God to me? And what does that mean for me? You know, every time that you get into God's word, 
Every time you sit down and do a Devo and read the Bible, every time you get into a growth group and you have some biblical discussions, you should be asking within your own heart and within your own mind these three simple questions. Who is God? Who is God to me? And how does that change my life? Every time, if you ask those three questions when you dig into God's word, every time you just kind of read the Bible, I promise you God will reveal himself to you. He will show you more about who he is, who he is to us, and what it means for us to follow him. What it means to draw us closer. Because the Bible is a love story, like we talked about last week, guiding us towards the heart of God. It's not about, I just need all this knowledge. It's a love story God wrote to us to draw us towards him. And the more we just focus on that, devoting to his word, God, who are you? Who are you to me? And what does that mean for my life? He will draw you closer and closer to the experience of who he is, who he is to us, and how it transforms our life. They were devoted to that when every time they gathered together. Secondly, they were devoted to each other. They were devoted to serving each other. One of the biggest downfalls of, a, of the church are when Christians walk into the church with the mindset of, what's in it for me? What are you doing for me today? And so many Christians bounce around from church to church <clears throat> because their focus is more about what are you doing for me rather than what am I doing for you? The apostles taught us as they devoted to each other the importance of that, that every time they gathered together, they came together with the one focus in mind, I am here for you. How can I serve you? How can I be there for you? That's a heart change. And here's the amazing thing. When we come together, and if every person who walked into impact had that one focus when they walk into this door, into these doors, I'm here to serve them. How can I serve them better? Guess what? All the needs that you have in your heart would be taken care of. Why? Because when everybody starts asking that same question and focus on that same question, how can I be there for somebody else? We begin to take care of each other. That's how God designed it, that we are there for each other, guiding each other toward the heart of God. The more we are self-focused, the more isolated we become and the more we push biblical community away. But the more we are focused outwardly, the more community happens. And the craziness is, it's opposite of all of our thinking because the more community happens, the more my needs are fulfilled. The more your needs are fulfilled. But the less that happens, the more isolated you feel. What if we just all begin to come into church with that one focus, how can I serve somebody else today? Watch what God would begin to do. Watch what God would begin to do in your life and through your life. The third thing they were devoted to was serving others. They were focused on serving others together. They went out that out, and they, the Bible says that they sold all their possessions to help those in need. You know, here at Impact, how we do that today is we have ministry teams. There are great opportunities. We would love to open up more of our Impact kids this hour, but we can't because we're lacking volunteers. Boy, what if more people said, I'm going to jump into this. I want to be a part of this and see what God's going to do through me. What more could we do? It, it, you know, if every single person 
took the step and said, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give God a portion of everything I receive through the mission of the church. Just watch out, world. Watch what God will do through us. When the community of God works together and acts like a community, nothing can stop it. The gates of hell cannot stop it, the Bible says. God is on the move. And look what happens in Acts 2. It says when they were devoted to the word, when they were devoted to each other, when they were devoted to serving others, the God added to their number every single day of those people who are finding hope in Jesus Christ. We live in a lost and fallen world. And God's answer to this lost and fallen world is the community of believers. That is the church. And the more we focus on ourselves, the less we become the church that God called us to be. But the more we focus on devoting to God's word, to each other, and to serving others, to live out God's community, the more he will not only fulfill the needs that are in your heart, the more he will advance his kingdom. And we will see hope go out into our community and this world in ways we never thought was possible. That's God's plan. See, make no mistake about it. In community, we have an obligation to each other. Every community, we have an obligation to each other. We don't come here to be more self-absorbed. We come here to be more others-focused. And the more we become others-focused, the more we take care of our own self. Because the more self-centered we become, the more isolated from, from a healthy community we are. And we miss it. It's written in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See what the writer writes there? Our job is to be others focused, to encourage, to spur each other on towards good deeds. Our role within this community is to be others focused that constantly helps point other people to God. And it will help us point us towards God. And that we should not forsake meeting together. We should not become so self-absorbed that we become isolated from the community. Don't give up meeting together. Don't allow the world's traps and the bad influences that are in this world to drive you down the path of isolation. But let's run towards God. Let's experience him. Because he's on the move. And he wants to move within your heart and to move within your life. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you right now. And Lord, in this moment, I just pray that you just help us to draw towards you. Father God, it's probably safe to assume that there are some right now in this room or online that have that feeling of isolation, have that feeling of, boy, I come to church, but I just don't feel it. I don't feel a connection with God. But Lord, I pray that you may open up the eyes of our isolation. Help us to take steps towards you. Lord, help us to be vulnerable. And Lord, if we felt rejected by past experiences of trying to be vulnerable, Lord, I pray that you... Help us to heal from that. Help us to find the appropriate relationships where we can be real. That we may be drawn towards a path of real community that drives us to experiencing you in a whole new way. Lord, just move in this place. 
move in our hearts. It's your name we pray. Amen.